0: I think the people of this country have had enough of experts. The science has If you changed.
1: count the legal votes, I we easily go for short win. it is time to, to, to get
2: Brexit done. This candle smells like my vagina. I shouldn't be somewhere. up here. What? I should I be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Two, three, four, three, four,
0: what the fuck is going on?
1: Hello, I'm Mark Steele. Welcome to my podcast where each week I ask the question... What the fuck is going on?
0: What the fuck is going
1: on? This week, it was announced that there's a tiny chance that we might run out of everything. But at least we can be sure that when we hear something like that, the British people will act calmly. We'll serenely form a nine-mile queue outside every petrol garage and scream, I must have petrol! While hyperventilating and howling like a hyena under the moonlight. And millions of people will shout, Where'd you get your petrol, mate? Uh, everybody they see who's driving, including hearses and ambulances and hovercrafts. And if you tell them you don't have a car, they'll scream, ''What do you mean you haven't got a car?'' ''Where do you keep your petrol?'' People will arrive at petrol garages with buckets and cake tins and cat litter trays. Anything that can hold a bit more petrol. Other people will scream, empty the baby's milk bottles. We can use them to store more petrol. And some people will say, I'm off down the garage. I'm not going to take the car because that will use some of the petrol. I'm going to cut the petrol in my hands drink it, and spit it back out when I get home. And at the same time, these ministers appear on television every day to assure us that we won't run out of energy. And you can see on their face that they're thinking, Ah, we're going to run out of energy! For years, they told us the answer to energy prices hurtling upwards is shop around for the cheapest deal that you can find. So when it costs £4,000 worth of gas to heat up a pan of custard, it's your fault for not swapping to a Ukrainian company that was a bit cheaper until half past five when it went into liquidation and turned out to be owned by a cousin of Jacob Rees-Mogg. Maybe the government should answer other problems in this way. If they're asked what they're doing about knife crime, they can say, My advice is to shop around for areas where you're less likely to get stabbed. And who's got the time to shop around like this anyway? These people who go, well, we went on one of those comparison websites called comparethecomparisonmarket.uswitch.com meerkats. So now we get our electricity from William Hill and we get our gas supply from a pet shop in Taiwan. And they've put us on the Gorgonzola tariff, which is 2% dearer, but they do send you a pallet of cheese on the third of every month. And you put that in a fondue and it gives you hot water for a week. The only people who've got the time to do all this are the elderly, and they're the ones who can't work the internet. But luckily, the government has planned these shortages carefully so we're running out of food at the same time, which means it doesn't matter if there's no fuel for lorries or drivers to drive the lorries, as there's nothing for them to take anyway. And it doesn't matter if we run out of toilet rolls, because there won't be any food to eat, so no one will be shitting anyway. So this has turned out well, because one argument for Brexit was we needed more space in our overcrowded country, and now we've got it. A few years ago, the shops were packed full of Food and clothes, but now there's plenty of room along the beautifully empty shelves and aisles. But in our hour of need, we have at least got a great leader. When a nation worries that it could be without the basics of life, it needs a leader of strength and wit and charisma to galvanise the spirit with a mighty speech to give us heart. And this week, Boris Johnson rose to the challenge. In these trying times, he addressed the United Nations with words that touched us all. He said, and I promise these are the exact words, uh, when Kermit the Frog, Kermit the Frog sang it's uh, it's not easy being green. Um do you remember that one? <clears throat> uh I, I want you to know he was wrong and he was uh, he was rude It's a speech that stands alongside Abraham Lincoln's famous address after the Battle of Gettysburg, when he inspired his nation by saying, When I look around at these bodies, I am reminded of the Smurfs. Do you remember them? They were blue. And Winston Churchill, in Britain's darkest hour after the fall of France, girded the nation by saying, We shall fight them, like the clangers. Do you remember them, funny little things, on the moon? Boris Johnson always wanted to be like his hero, Churchill, and he might get his wish now, because just like in 1942, by December we'll all be growing turnips in the wardrobe and buying a chicken on the black market off a bloke behind the bus shelter. And we'll all have blackouts, because if you switch on the bedside lamp for 10 minutes, you'll get an electricity bill for 900 quid. In 2015, we were advised by David Cameron that we faced stability with the Conservatives, or chaos with Ed Miliband. And when we're hunting for berries and cooking our pets and knitting jumpers out of mud, we should all be thankful that at least we didn't vote for chaos. Oh, what the fuck is going on? It would be impossible to find out what the fuck is going on without assistance from experts, really, on this matter. And I'm very, very honoured to have one of the experts with me this week. Ladies and gentlemen of the nation... (laughs) <laughs> Mr. Jack D. Hello, Mark. It's good to see you. Thank you for having me on. Well, we haven't seen each other in the flesh for a long, long time, have we? And uh, sometimes I sort of think, you know, you sort of keep meeting people at the moment and going, <laughs> mm. why haven't I seen you for ages? Oh, yes, there was a global ban on seeing people.
2: There was that, and it got in the way of everything, didn't it? And obviously live shows gone. And, yeah, I mean, it is nice to meet up with comedians, you know, not at funerals, to be honest, yes. at this stage. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it is, uh, Honestly, that's one of the times I now see people. Yeah, yeah,
1: no, it's quite handy, that, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Have you been doing live shows? I've got back into them, thank goodness. I was in the middle of a tour when the curtain fell, and it took me a bit of... It was a bit weird getting used to it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I'm honest, I got used to not working, and quite like that. Yes, there
1: was a period about three months in where I thought, "Oh, I'm not really missing... Being on the M1 stuck outside Chesterfield.
2: Yeah, it got more worrying than that for me. I started thinking, do you know, I quite like looking after this hedge, you know, <laughs> minor bits around the garden, you know, getting the stripe right on the lawn. And oh, no. It got worse than that. I was comparing my lawn with next door's in the end. And I thought, this has got to stop. I'm letting myself go badly here. Yes. My lawn was clearly better. And the fact that I took pleasure <laughs> from that was, was one of the most worrying <laughs> symptoms of the whole COVID thing. Oh,
1: God. I know I have this fear of one day sort of sitting around saying things like I'm hoping to go to the Lake District in May (laughs) if I'm spared.
2: (laughs) If I'm spared, yeah. I,
1: I went to Wakefield this week and did my first live show. Yeah. First live show. And it was really actually walking on the stage was really quite odd. I had to sort of tell, oh, you've got to say something now. It's not good enough to go. Well, I did it and then just go home again. Yep. And my opening line that sort of came to me was, when you bought these tickets, was 18 months ago, my audience is three tonnes heavier now than when it bought the <laughs> bloody things. <laughs> yes. And that there's probably, given the age demographic of my audience, most of them in Wakefield were probably going, I can't remember why we bought tickets to see this bastard, but it's yeah. <laughs> bloody Yorkshire, so I'm not bloody yeah. wasting them.
2: I always find when I haven't done stand-up for a long time, I overcompensate, and it takes me a while to draw stuff back and become myself again and remember what works best for me on stage, which is really not caring that much. Or appearing not to care, you know that. Yes. So my thing is, that I try too much to begin with, and then I think, what are you doing that
1: for?" Well, that's what people have always said. They've always said the trouble with Jack. Yeah, he looks like he cares too much.
2: <laughs> I know. So that's my thing. So I'm just getting back into it. It's been, a, and it's great actually. It really is. I've forgotten about the lawn. I don't give a shit about the lawn anymore. <laughs> you know, fucking privet hedge. I got I got a boxy thing out the front, you know, on those hedges which I've been cutting, and some caterpillars had it now and had the fucking lot. I don't care. I don't care. It's welcome to it. It's uh, it got me through a rough patch, yeah. and now it's done. It, it can eat the thing. I don't care.
1: God, if the lawns actually were sentient, they'd be in lawn therapy now. I oh, wouldn't. They, they? thought My... he cared. All these
2: years he lived in, he never give a shit. Yeah. So so yeah, it was all all of that stuff. I've temporarily found a very scary, light side of myself, which I didn't like, and I'm not proud of. No, quite right, not to be proud of it. (laughs) Now,
1: we have some issues to clarify, and the world is waiting on what we've got to say about this. First of all, Jack, I'd noticed this in the papers. I was amazed by this. The rule is being changed in restaurants so that when restaurants, you tip the, uh, the waiters, the staff in a restaurant, the rule is being changed so that now the restaurants have to give those tips to the staff.
2: Yeah. What? So they weren't doing it before? It's tough on restaurant owners, that isn't it? Where you've actually got to pay the staff the money that they were given in the first place. I was staggered when I heard that because I have a background in that business. I worked in it for a long, long time. Yes, and I can assure you, I never worked anywhere where any of that went on. And if it had, we would have walked straight out. You just don't do that. It's a tough old business, and they deserve every penny they get. You know, it's lousy hours, and often you do get paid rubbish. I'm not against the tipping system. I think it's good because I think it brings out the best in people. Uh, Certainly, the staff it can, but you've got to make sure you get them my god where were you jay you were in the kitchen weren't you all over i've worked the front of the house i've worked everywhere oh, oh yeah yeah i worked in a restaurant where people were they had a lot of stag nights and stuff and people would come and request me as a sort of novelty waiter because I was so miserable <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Can we have that bloke who's so rude and so miserable we'd love him because it just it would be funny so it's kind of partly a bit of learning, I wouldn't say, it's not where I started stand-up, but you learn a bit of crowd control doing that, for sure. Oh, right, right.
1: Yeah. I find this extraordinary, like, you You know, I've never worked very much in a kitchen, but it seems to me that you give the tip money to the waiter, to the waitress, you give it to them. For them to take that, I was thinking this is like, they might as well go round to churches and when everyone's put the money in the little plate and then the restaurant owner coming in and going, Yeah well I'll have that, I might give you some of it see how i feel it's
2: so it's so outrageous it was a terrible thing to have done and you know and there are traditions with all this very traditional business that and the tradition is you usually work the trunk system so you all have points depending how long you work there depending what your role is oh, all right and you tally it up at the end everyone puts their money in and then it gets divided out and quite often the chefs are involved in that because they're not often oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that well paid so that's a fairly workable system I used to prefer the other way around where you just kept what you were given. I just think that was a fairer thing. Well, especially because you were getting more
1: because you were doing the... Your,
2: your I, I was getting more because I was so unpleasant to them. <laughs> <laughs> it was just something that the more unpleasant I was, the more money I made. And uh, and, and, and it's something that stood me very well over the years.
1: This is going to transform things now because people will, anyone who hears this who's a waiter will go, yeah. I'm going to take note of Jack. Yeah, yeah. And then that <laughs> night, people will be in restaurants all over the country going, excuse yeah. me, we thought, I don't care what you fucking think.
2: You're lucky to get any food, you fat pig. Yeah, there was one restaurant I worked in in Covent Garden where I overstepped the mark and I knew I'd upset people. And one bunch of people actually called the police to get to complain about me. And I was the the manager. I was the the manager. So I was taken out of the restaurant by the police and I was the manager of the restaurant. And they just said, well, why have they called? I said, I have no idea. All I said is they couldn't have another cup of coffee. And they got upset about it. And I, I had... I had my research, but then I was really bored working in that world and I really, really wanted to, you know, do this instead. And I was using any excuse to get rid of people out of the restaurant. And so when people said, can I have a second cup of coffee? I said, no, we, we don't do second cups of coffee. Just, <laughs> just, just as a familiar. lie. I know, just as a lie. And then they said, well, why not? Why wouldn't you? And I said, well, because we've got policy with it. It's not fair on the other restaurants in the area. You know, <laughs> We can't keep you here all night. This? <laughs> but this, this one bloke got so irate, and he called the police on me. Unbelievable. Unbelievable.
1: That's so English. Yeah. In South America, the town hall was burnt down over a policy to do with land reform. <laughs> and over yeah. here, the police are called. Well, I, they wouldn't yeah. serve us a second <laughs> cup
2: of coffee. Exactly. That's absolutely outrageous.
1: You'd have been perfect as a waiter doing that in Paris. Yeah. They live up to their image. You know, usually places disappoint you, they don't live up to their image. You know, you go to Italy and you want everyone to go, la, 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 but yeah. in Paris they do, and... Um, So we were in a cafe place in Paris and then it took an hour to get this bloke to just come over and take the money and he quite deliberately, quite deliberately, would walk up to us and then just walk off again. Yeah, yeah. And then eventually we went up to him and said, please, can we pay? And he said, (laughs) if you are in a hurry, you should have come earlier.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's that's quite class, isn't it? No, it is. That's a classy response, that. I sometimes wonder, though, with that French thing, uh, that we all say, oh, they're very nonchalant and that shrugging the shoulder. But I do think, I think a lot of it is a translational thing for them. I always remember we went, a long time ago, about 15 years ago, I got involved in a charity auction at a, I won't, probably name it but it's a very 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 smart hotel in park lane in london right and my sister had organized it so i was doing the auction and and as a result most of my family were there and so we all stayed over and had breakfast the next day at this amazing hotel. And so we're around this big table all the staff uh French and they're in you know the tailcoats and everything penguin type outfits and we all order our breakfast my dad ordered haddock with a poached egg right. and all the breakfasts come with those big silver domes on them and they all come and they lift the, the waiters have got white gloves on lift them all up like that and we all got our breakfast under there. Then there it is. And uh, I could see my dad's expression. It was something wrong with it. I said, dad, is, is that all right? He said, to be honest, it doesn't smell very good. I don't, <laughs> I don't think I want to eat this. So we had to call the waiter over, and it's easier a problem. And we said, uh, well, we think that the haddock is, is probably not quite right. Would you mind? So he said, he took it away. And this is where I mean it's about a translational thing. He took it away and then came back a moment later. And he says, the chef have explained that uh, the Adeki come in a blister pack and it does tend to ming a bit when you open it. (laughs) I thought, he has not got a clue what he's just said. It was the shepherd that said, well, wow, it comes in a brister pack, doesn't it? It does ming a bit when you open it. Go and tell him.
1: It'll be on the menus, you yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. It does tend to ming a bit.
1: Summon parve minge. It'll be a little thing there, lad. Yeah. I
2: thought it was really quite sweet because he just sort of parrot fashion just said what the shepherd told him. Not realising how. Yeah. So, Jack, something that you were going to ask, what the fuck is going on with? Yeah. Interesting that I was thinking about remembering seeing you in the very early days you started a bit before me so you were someone I always looked up to and of course still do but you were up and running and I was still a rookie but I've often thought following people like you in your career and other people that I know I just think what the bloody hell would all of us have done if we hadn't had this because some comedians I can imagine well you probably would have been okay you'd have been a lecturer or something or an accountant or something you know some of them I can but I can't see I just think, what would bloody Mark Steele have done? I don't mean that pejoratively, but what would Mark have done if it hadn't been for comedy. I no,
1: mean it pejoratively. I'd have been hopeless. I couldn't possibly do anything else. I'd probably get taken on and then I'd be sacked within a week, which is generally what used to happen yeah. in jobs. Yeah, I was sacked from everything. I was sacked from being a milkman because I just wasn't concentrating. I'd get home and I'd have left. Sometimes milkmen would get back to the yard and realise they'd missed a house out and go whoops and yeah. go drive back and take <laughs> a couple of pints back. I used to miss whole streets out whole housing estate. (laughs) I'd get back and I'd think, oh, I'm really early today and I've got 35 crates of milk still on the back of the... Oh, shit, I missed out the (laughs) second two-thirds of the round. I was useless. I crashed the float three times.
2: I wrote it off. I drove it into a river. I was hopeless. I can't do anything else. You wouldn't have. All I can imagine, maybe with you, perhaps I could see you, but then again, it sort of merges into a showbiz role. I can see you maybe running a pie stall or something um, oh, yeah, on the, like, you yeah. know in a car par- in a car park yeah. but then you would become the character that a local private eye confides in. So there's always a, <laughs> so, so there's a, there's always a scene with with uh, Mark's pie stand <laughs> and Mark shed some light on the case. You know, oh, you might want to try this. Yeah, I used to have a milk round and now I'm like that geezer down oh, there. Yeah. There's
1: a few gold chains there that, uh, yeah. that are a little bit beyond his means oh, if no. you get what I mean.
2: Exactly. So you'd be like a sort of English huggy bear off Kojak. Yeah. That's how I see you. Yes. If that had
1: happened. What about you then, Jack? Would you? to be in the kitchens.
2: Yeah, I know I wouldn't have done very well and I despite everything I was never fired from any of those jobs. Jane my wife was fired from her first job. She was a waitress. She got fired from um, a well-known steakhouse chain in Seven Oaks, right? And when oh, right. she when she was 17 and she got fired when she asked why she got fired the reason given was uh, for leaning against the dessert trolley like a slut. <laughs> So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm always asking her, "Go on, show us what you do." Oh, I'd
1: want to be fired for that. But
2: I, I've got a job that I think I would be good at. That I've observed, I would like to be a photographer. All right. But I would like to take those photos. You know those photos when you have to prove you're not a robot by ticking oh, yeah, all the yeah yeah, yeah the by ticking lights and stuff. Yeah, all the pictures are of traffic lights. Yeah, I can take photos like that. <laughs> I'm quite. I'm. That's how all my photos are a bit like that, and I think I think I could do that. I think I could do that very well. I've not got a lot of time for photography in in any way, but that is a, a, a special level of crapness that I think I could do. I could achieve that. And they'd ring me up and say, Jack, can you go? We need more zebra crossings today. Can we have some more, please? Or <laughs> photos of buses And there. So I took a photo and I said, this one's not very good. There's, there's only a, in the corner there is a bus. No, that's perfect, Jack. It's what we want you for. It's why we, it's why we love you. And we spotted your work ages ago. We're big fans. We, you know, so I'd, get, I'd be working for Google, everyone. Just people proving they're not robots by looking at my pictures. I, I, think, I think photographers are gaslighters to some extent anyway. Don't you feel that, really? Because I do think, obviously, there's a skill. Obviously, it is. But I do think if it is a skill, then prove it by just taking one photo. Only one. You're only allowed one Not 48 and then say, oh, I think I've got a good one though. Of course you did. I would have got a good one out of 48. Fucking chimpanzee would have got a good one.
1: Yeah, it's a good point. It's like if if we don't have that luxury, we can't go up and do the same joke 48 times until we do it in a way that people laugh.
2: I I wouldn't bet on it, Mark.
1: Thank you very much. I feel, and I'm sure everybody listening does, so much more illuminated than they were at the start of this programme. Thank you so much, Jack, for telling us what the fuck is going on. Jack, is there anything that we should tell the good people that you're doing? Obviously, there's the lawn issue.
2: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'll be uh, ignoring my lawn and back on the road, so I am on tour, and I've got a book coming out in October called What Is Your Problem? So uh, thank you very much for having me on, Mark. Oh, an absolute pleasure.
1: Thank you, Mr Jack D. This week, the Scottish Government relaxed the laws regarding the possession of Class A drugs. Now, unfortunately, George Galloway can't be here to give his opinion on this, as he took a lateral flow test and tested positive for Novichok poisoning. So, best of luck to you, George. Luckily, he has sent, in his place, deceased cricketer Fred Truman. I mean, drugs do not talk to me about drugs. I mean, uh, all this modern rubbish they have these days, skunk, MDMA and what have you. I mean, I don't call them drugs. We had proper drugs. We had laudanum and morphine, AK-47, which was your acid, mixed with ketamine and for breakfast cereal, we had crunchy nut opium flakes. And if you didn't eat it all up, your grandmother would put you through the mango hang you on the washing line to have your eyes pecked out by crows. But, I mean, uh, I tell you what, you did not leave any lines on your mirror again. <laughs> I mean, I uh, i remember Alfie Dubworth one day at Taunton during the tea interval, he ate two pork pies, smoked three pipes of heroin, went straight out and got two wickets in his next over. I mean, uh, these days they wouldn't bother, I give up. <laughs> Keir Starmer, leader of the Labour Party, has written a crucial 14,000-word essay on what Labour must stand for. And you can see why. Boris Johnson got elected by saying, get Brexit done. So if three words work that well, 14,000 words must work 4,666 times better. In this essay, Keir Starmer writes ten principles. The first one for the party, he says, is Labour... We'll always put hard-working families first. Now, I don't agree with this. I think that hard-working families should come seventh. First should be lazy common thieves and then hard-working people who live on their own in a cave. The next principle is... If you work hard and play by the rules, you should be rewarded fairly. This is the sort of principle that needs to be spelt out if it's the first day at St Joseph's Nursery for under fours. So if Labour get in and you don't play by the rules, you'll all have to sit in a corner while the rest of the country watches Paw Patrol. Then there's... The economy should work for citizens and communities. Now, this is a bold statement that must inspire the nation because up until now, governments have always insisted the economy should work for squirrels and wardrobes. Principle number eight is...
2: The government should treat taxpayers' money as if it were its own.
1: No! It should treat it as if it belonged to Terry, who has an ice cream van. So the aim of the economy will be to buy 5 million gallons of raspberry sauce and 3 billion Cadbury's flakes amounting to 8% of GDP by the second quarter of 2023. Anyway, this government already treats taxpayers' money as if it's their own. I'll keep some and I'll let my mates have some. And then there's... We are proudly patriotic, but we reject the divisiveness of nationalism. Now that one's brilliant. They should do more like that. We are proudly alcoholic, but we reject the drunkenness of alcoholism. We love ostriches, but we reject ostrichness. And we love a bit of toast, but we will not accept bread that's been toasted. I haven't read all the 14,000 words, but I should think most of those are in there. The whole thing is just a marvellous list of meaninglessness. I expect principle number 10 says, we promise to have 10 principles, not just nine. And This sort of thinking seems to be popular in the Labour Party now. Anas Sawa, who's leader of Scottish Labour, published his five-point plan for taking on the SNP and the Tories, in which he said... We must talk about health, education and poverty. Now, this is a good point, but it does make you wonder what they've been talking about until now. Have they been knocking on doors and talking about canoeing and the route from Glasgow to Greenwich, avoiding the M8 and the best place in Motherwell to go dogging? No-one seems sure what the Labour Party is supposed to be now. It's like someone who's opened up a shop that sells Lego and marmalade and hardcore porn. No one can work out what market they're even aiming for. The only strategy they seem sure of is to distance themselves from Jeremy Corbyn. Anything Corbyn approved of has to be discarded, including Corbyn himself. Their next policy review will probably end up with them supporting napalming allotments. And then the person who seems to pop up most of all with advice... It's Tony Blair. What the Labour Party needs... No, not you! He's even more unpopular now than Jeremy Corbyn was at his worst. It'd make more sense to dig Savile up and have him offering advice. What we need is to govern from the centre. You see, yes, indeed. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. Labour's biggest problem is people have forgotten they're even there. Most people probably think they were wound up in April and have retrained as yoga instructors or pig farmers. Occasionally someone on the news mentions the Labour Party has commented on something, such as Labour's Shadow Minister for Education said, I am currently out of the office until October the 19th. If your inquiry is urgent please contact Mrs Tilbury at the post office and she will try to suggest a policy. They're having their conference this week. I hardly noticed until the other day and it's in Brighton where I am half the time. So the one time they get themselves in the news, they're spending it arguing with each other over how the leader gets elected. So if I was advising Labour, I'd say have a year off, completely. Learn to play chess, learn to play the banjo, get your HGV licence... Watch all five seasons of The Wire. Reconnect with the family. Just disappear completely, and then come back in a year, and you'll probably find you've gone up four percent in the polls.
2: What the fuck is
0: going
1: on? One of the joys of doing this podcast is people send me messages on Twitter via our podcast account at What The F Is Going. And this is some of the messages I've had over the last few days. Uh, Montrith Yakno says, Australian government plan to capitalise on carp orgies to cull the pest species with herpes virus. What the fuck is going on? Right, that sounds like... Four or five different stories have all been accidentally merged into one in a great big explosion in the newsroom. And the Australian government and capitalism and car porges and culling and herpes viruses have all just merged. There's probably Joe Biden was involved in it and Jeff Bezos and a new form of antimatter that's been found the other side of the galaxy. I've no idea what the fuck is going on there, Monchef. I can imagine if that is a true story, and someone in the Australian government has been so bored, there's nothing going on out here, mate. The COVID's nearly sorted. The ashes isn't for a few weeks. Hang on a minute. The carps are a little bit feisty. Let's see if we can cull some of the little bastards. Uh, now, what's the obvious way to colour a fish? With a herpes virus. If it was going to happen in any country, it would be Australia. Oval Pigeon says, "What the fuck is going on with one seventeenth of an ounce? Any fool knows a gram is worth one twenty-eighth of an ounce. That is a very, very good point, and to understand it, and you will understand it, you will have to listen to last week's episode." Tom McEn Jones says. I thought Jeremy Vine rides a penny farthing was the new Bob Holness plays sax on Baker Street. Now, this is because Mark Lamar pointed out last week that Jeremy Vine cycles around his area on a penny farthing. Tom then goes on to say, but I looked it up and it's true. It is true, Tom. Not only that, it's also true that while it is a bit of an urban myth about Bob Holness and the sax on Baker Street, he did play the timpanis in the first performance of Beethoven's Heroica in Vienna in 1804.
2: What the
1: fuck is going on? It would be impossible to even have a chance of working out what the fuck is going on in this world if you only mix with people of your own generation. Luckily, I have bred someone so that they can keep me informed as to what the younger people think. Elliot Steele. Fresh back from Peterborough, how are you today? Uh, I'm I'm well, thank you. Now, something that the younger generation seem very, very interested in is the preservation of the planet. So there's all these sorts of movements like Extinction Rebellion and stuff like that. What do most of your generation think about the people, in particular this week, that have been gluing themselves to the M25?
0: Just run them over. There's your answer. Why are we allowing this to happen? Like, never have people had such a good point and made it so poorly they literally want to save the planet all they have to say is we don't want everyone to drown or die from starvation because we won't be able to grow crops and they don't say that instead they just glue themselves to things and stop people getting to work so no one can do anything so everyone goes all right well fuck it i'd rather the planet die than see these people be happy that
1: seems harsh when someone's Trying to save the planet. Yeah, but... (laughs) Oh, I
0: get it. Do it
1: it in a less annoying way. Well, how do you try and get the planet to not be destroyed by carbon emissions,
0: how are you going to do that? The point that I'm making is I think what you do is a movement. It's like, if you look at the Russian Revolution, the whole point of the Russian Revolution, the whole reason it worked for the French Revolution, is we get the workers, we get the people on side, we create a thing, you know, where the elites have to listen now because it's all on the line for them, like there's an uprising. So it's the same as like, if you're in Extinction Rebellion, they're not getting the workers on side, they're stopping the workers getting to work. So they're now getting the workers to side with oil companies. They're so annoying that I'm now going, I'm on the side of Shell because you're stopping people getting to work and you're blocking up the city. And I don't even like Shell, but the enemy of my enemy is my friend and my enemy at the moment is Extinction Rebellion because they're blocking the M25. You don't go
1: on the M25. No,
0: but what if I want to? (laughs) Well, if you
1: really, really today need to go to Leatherhead via Walton-on-Thames, Junction 9, on the M25... That'll be really irritating because there's a chance that some people will be on the slip road and instead you'll have to go through the back roads. Yeah, and therefore yeah, but you're but going stop, to side with multi-national multi like multi oil on, companies on will talk with everything like else.
0: Cool with this. You lose your shit in traffic in the day where you start arguing that there should be a coal of people because there's a set of temporary traffic lights I agree. because I have to dig up the road. Nice. And you scream, where the fuck did all these people come from? What are they doing here? Like, they don't have a right to also be going to a place.
1: I don't know. It's the temporary traffic lights no, that I you're don't also know. Like, I don't mind the people.
0: about people being out about in the day. If we were on a motorway and then some fucking hippies started tying themselves with dandelions and stuff to the motorway. I reckon you would think about driving through them. I'm not saying you'd do it, but you would consider, I'd rather do the prison time than sit here for 40 minutes behind these people. You, so don't act like, oh, it's all a movement. It's Everyone's part of a movement until the movement fucks up. They're, you know, like we're all left wing until we have money. It's like you're being in the Socialist Workers Party. It's like you meet these people and you're like, these are great ideas. But of course you think we should redistribute the wealth, Margaret. You make wind chimes for a living. Like it's not economically viable. That's mental. Of course you want Elon Musk's money. I think what you do as a movement is you find who you've got and you get like the 5% that are useful. And you realize the other 95% are going to be annoying because they make it their personality. You've been in like campaigns and stuff all your life. Think about every person you've met in like the Socialist Workers Party. You've probably thought we would probably have socialism by now if these people weren't in the party, because they're just annoying and hold everything back. Do, do you know what I mean? No, I don't
1: know what you mean. I don't agree with the things you've said about things that I say about people in dandelions. Thank you very much for enlightening. <laughs> no, don't, don't try back out of it. Someone isn't going to be getting any ice cream. On their apple pie today.
0: Well, no, because extinction rebellion will probably say making an apple pie gives CO two into the environment, so we can't have apple pie. You should be having grass pie instead. Even though apples fucking come from the ground, we've got to find something to out. They come from like,
1: the tree. We've got a oh, tree. Oh, in oh, the and where the does the
0: fucking tree come from? The ground.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much, Elliot Steele. What the fuck is going on? Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you've liked it, please subscribe, rate it. And if you can be bothered, write a review. If you can't be bothered, definitely write a review. Now, we've now got a website, whatthefisgoingonpodcast.co.uk at the risk of sounding like one of these annoying utility companies when they can't be bothered to answer the phone. What the phone. whatthefisgoingonpodcast.co.uk And if there's anything at all that you think I should be finding out what the fuck is going on with it, then please send me a message on Twitter at whatthefisgoingonpodcast.co.uk and we'll do our best to look at all the messages. We will look at all the messages that you send and we will reply to as many as we can. What the fuck is going on was hosted by me, Mark Steele, with my guests Jack D and Elliot Steele. Voices by Sarah Alexander and Pete Sinclair. It was written by Mark Steele, James Serafinowicz and Pete Sinclair. Music by Willie Dowling. It was produced and edited by Scott and Matt at Podmonkey. What the fuck is going on is a co-production between Podmonkey and Consec Industries.